And let's go to the word. We can take, and you may be seated. Our word today can be found in Luke 9, chapter 9, verse 61. And while you're turning to it, let's praise the Lord for our pastor and our leader, Bishop Charles E. Blake Sr., our senior pastor. Come on now, I didn't just wake y'all up on this morning, y'all, the same church that was giving the Lord praise. I said, let's give the Lord praise for our pastor. He said that he wasn't going anywhere, and I laughed and let him know that even if he tried to, I would haunt him down and make sure that he stayed close. Amen. You can't say West Angeles without saying the name Bishop Charles E. Blake Sr. Amen. And you cannot acknowledge the beauty of West Angeles without saying the name Lady May L. Blake. Let's praise the Lord for our first lady on this morning. My mother. We also praise the Lord for Elder Lawrence Champion Blake on today. Amen. <laughs> That's a strong brother. And I know she's going to act like she did not want me to mention her, but my sister Kim is in the house, and I'm always going to give her a shout out. And we praise the Lord for the elders on today that brought us before the throne of the Lord in prayer and in scripture on this morning. Elder John Patton and Elder Edward Bradley on the day we praise the Lord for them. And this wonderful music department. I just wanted to give you all enough time to find the scripture on this morning. Let's praise the Lord for them. Dr. Judith McAllister and Lady Marquita Knight sang that song today. And Brother Easter, amen. Let us know how reckless the love of the Lord is. I love that song. But if you found the word of the Lord today in our scripture for the word, say amen. In fact, let's stand again to read the word of the Lord on this morning in Luke 9 and 61. Where it reads, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but stop right there. Don't even read the rest of the scripture. Lord, I will follow you, but that's our title on today. Lord, I will follow you, but you may be seated. <laughs> now, but is one of those words that by its nature signifies a point of interruption a changing of direction, a stoppage. And I praise the Lord for my family, my wife, Deandra, and my sons, Charles and Julian, watching us online today. Praise the Lord for them in their absence. <laughs> but it signifies by its nature the word but, a changing of direction, a stoppage. I was on my way to the store, but... The phone rang. I had planned on coming to church this morning, but I remembered that it was the final round of the playoffs. 
Anytime that I'm in a conversation with anyone and they're telling me something good or giving me a compliment, then all of a sudden they say, but I know that I'm about to hear something that I might not want to hear. We love the work that you've been doing. It's been absolutely fabulous, but... Or, we've been married for 20 years. We have some beautiful children. We've built a beautiful life together, and I'll always love you, but... In fact, whatever someone was saying slips into nothingness, as soon as the word but shows up in the sentence. It comes to the point that whatever compliment or good thing that was being said starts to feel only like a diversion, a disarming tactic that sets you up for the unpleasant nature of what was their true thought or whatever came behind the but. It's a tragic situation. The promise of so many things, so much potential that could have been realized and reached, but something went wrong. But something was done. But something happened that destroyed that bright future. The young man that got all A's all his young life, that went on to college and graduate top, graduated top of his class in business school. He showed such promise on his path to become CEO, but he couldn't keep his hands off of his secretary and female employees. The talented high school athletes on their way to football stardom, supported by their whole town, but they got drunk at a party and took advantage of a 16-year-old girl, and now they're in prison. That talented young singer at the start of her career seemed to be able to make the skies open every time she sang, but... She overdosed and died just as she was about to release her first album. But such a small and in many cases tragic word. Lord, I will follow you, but. Now, at this point in our ministry, in our, at this point in our text, the ministry of Jesus is in full swing. He's already given his mission statement in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, which reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
He's been teaching and preaching in all of the synagogues in and around the regions of Galilee, Capernaum, and Judea. Everywhere he went, Luke says that reports about him spread throughout the entire region. So many had either heard of or were talking about this man named Jesus. Well, one day when Jesus was traveling from one village to the next, and again, there was a, a huge crowd around him, and someone says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. And he answered, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now these men, along with everyone else in the crowd, heard that Jesus of Nazareth was in the area and they probably just wanted to hear something that would give them a, a boost and get their name off of things. No doubt that they, along with the entire region, had heard how Jesus had healed the sick or raised the dead, of how he spoke to the storm and it actually obeyed him, about how he commanded devils and spirits. And you know how people talk. I heard he healed some cat of leprosy over in, uh, you know, I heard how he raised so-and-so from the dead. My cousin told me that he fed like 5,000 dudes with two fish and five loaves of bread. He said it was the best fish he ever had. I wonder if he'll, maybe we'll get to see him. Maybe they just wanted to see something happen. Like us, they sometimes may have just wanted to get away from what was going on in their lives. For a second. Maybe they just wanted to hear an inspirational word that would pep them up and send them on their way. Maybe get a free meal even. But before they knew it, they were getting more than what they bargained for. Before they knew it, Jesus the Christ, who they had heard all these things about, raised people from the dead commanded the storm, was walking through the crowd, stopped in front of them, and looked them in the eye and said, follow me. The word, the word that was with God in the beginning and was God, their destiny, their future, their reason for being called out to them in the form of a man named Jesus and said, follow me. I mean, it must have been a terrifying and overwhelming experience. Follow me. They could have been men whose names we remember and celebrate to this day. 
God wanted to do something in their lives that we'd still be talking about to this day. They could have been great, but now sometimes we might come to church just to get our minds off of what's going on at the job or at the house for a moment. We may be hurt or depressed or just need a little pick-me-up for a second. Sometimes we come to church just to see what's going to be happening that day. Who's going to be singing? Who's going to be at service that day? And what are they, they going to be wearing or what that new co-pastor is going to do? Amen. He might crash and burn or wreck. Amen. But just church as usual. To some, church to some has become a form of entertainment. They approach it with the same attitude that they would have going to a movie or a a ball game. Well, even less so because they don't get mad when the game goes into overtime. But let service today run 30 minutes over time and see what happens. (laughs) I mean, we love the Lord. We come to church and we worship or we log on, but we don't really assume that something could actually happen. That our lives could actually be transformed. And all of a sudden, Christ Jesus looks at us right square in our hearts and he says, follow me. Even today, and we say, yes, Lord, I would follow you but I start this new job tomorrow. I would follow you, but I need to make some money to pay these bills. I would follow you, but what will people think of me online? But what will people think of me on the job? I would come to church more, but I would be a tither, but... I would volunteer to be a mentor, but I would join the evangelism team, but I would go out to minister to the homeless with the Skid Row ministry, but. Well, let me move back to talking about these brothers in the text because it seems to be getting a little tied up in here. (laughs) Couple folks looking at me like, who does he think he is? telling me how I should be. Well, beloved, it's my job. If I sound a little preachy, it's because I'm a preacher. (laughs) Part of my job is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. Hmm. But back to the brothers in our text. One of the men that Jesus told to follow him wanted to go home and bury his father. Now, if we try, we can, we can see him, feeling the pain of his loss, afraid of the future and the unknown, and feeling the stress of now having to take care of his family. You see, his father was probably the primary source of income for his family. The Jews were very particular about that sort of thing. There were many things that needed to be done. There were many preparations 
that needed to be made, and he was now the head of his family, who now probably had to take care of his mother and his brothers and sisters and his children and to be the, the father of his family. And this other young man with people at his house, probably his extended family, his cousins and maybe uncles or aunts that may have been staying with him because they may have had nowhere to go. We don't know. The word doesn't tell us. All he wanted to do was to say goodbye to them. I mean, we kind of looked down our noses at these guys, but they were dealing with real life issues. The word doesn't tell us about how Jesus dealt with the loss of his own father. When it comes to matters of the family and ministry, however, he was heard to say that his brothers and sisters were those who hear the word and do it. Oh, you can give the Lord praise for that. My family is those who hear the word and do it. Lord, I will follow you, but. But like we said before, it's not as simple as that, is it, Dr. McAllister? If you really look at these men's excuses, you'll see that these by themselves are not bad things. I mean, isn't it a good son that would pay proper respect to his dearly departed father? Isn't it a good father or a good host that wouldn't abandon his guests or his family without at least saying goodbye? Most of the times our reasons for not really doing what God may call us to do may seem like very good and valid reasons, don't they? I think that we have a tendency to picture these men in a somewhat bad light, but they might not have been that bad per se, Ambassador said. I mean, no more than the rest of us, right? How many of us here today would forsake all to follow Christ? I mean, not just worship him in church, but actually follow him. I think now a line needs to be drawn between a good thing, what these men were talking about, which were good things, and the right thing. Look at your neighbor and say there's a difference between a good thing and the right thing. And in this case, the right thing was following Christ. We should never let the good things in our lives get in the way of the right things in our lives. Now, this begs the question, does God wish that we would abandon our families and those that we bear some kind of responsibility to? Does he ask, I mean, does he command that we abandon those that we promised that we would never leave? Those who we said that we would always be there for? I mean, think about it. Sometimes the Bible goes back and forth. On one hand, we are told to honor our mother and our father. But yet in this account, in our text, leaving them to follow Christ seems to be commanded. We are told that he that finds a wife finds a good thing. That we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. 
Even in Psalms 127 and 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. And yet it seems that we're being told here to abandon them and follow Christ. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom, he says. And also, what does the word mean when it says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword? Matthew 10, 34 and 38 says, for I have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What does that mean? In a gospel that tells us to honor our father and mother and he that finds a wife finds a good thing and blessed is he who has children. Arrows in the hands of a warrior. Y'all still with me? I'm just checking. But almost everyone that is saved in here has someone in their family that doesn't agree with their decision to be a Christian. Let's start breaking it down so it will be forever broke. I mean, y'all fight it out every holiday. Let the dead bury their own dead. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, as those who say that we follow Christ, what does that mean? Well, since the world had not heard of the coming of the kingdom of the Lord, those who followed Christ had to be moving out into the world teaching and assisting in the spreading of the gospel. Following Christ at that time meant literally following Christ. Taking the gospel, the good news to where it had not been before, which in that day and time meant everywhere. The really interesting thing about this is that Jesus, most of the time, really doesn't call us in this time to go anywhere per se. But now he calls us to follow him in our hearts, in our minds, and in our spirits, in our love for one another, in our actions towards one another. I mean, it may not literally mean abandoning your family, but it may mean abandoning the way that they taught you to think. It may mean abandoning the way that they taught you to live, is it do, if it doesn't line up with the word of God or how you're supposed to live as a child of God. 
There was a whole lot of conflict during the time of civil rights, during the time of integration, because many of our white brothers and sisters were taught generations for generations and for generations that black people were animals. And there were a lot of young white children, men and women, who no longer could speak to their family because of who they chose to marry. They literally had to say goodbye. Some of us have said to ourselves that we would never be like our mom or our dad. But we never said goodbye to them in our hearts. And we ended up being exactly the same way our mom and dad was to us. Same kind of abuse. The same kind of mean. Propagating those general curses. You don't have to say goodbye, but in this sense, you have to say goodbye. I mean, he may call you to go to some faraway missions field, but you can follow Christ wholeheartedly while never leaving the house that you grew up in. You can follow Christ without ever leaving your neighborhood. You can follow Christ on your job. You can follow Christ in your relationships. You can follow Christ with your finances. You can follow Christ in your family. You can even follow Christ while you're in traffic. But I've seen some of y'all driving. I wonder where was the spirit of the Lord when they cut me off just a few seconds ago. Amen. I was driving. It was a brother just pulled up behind me. I tried to get out the way and wave. They hit their horn and zoomed by me and everything like that. And you know, after I drove to church today, I saw it was Elder Walter, Brother Walter Good, amen, who was cutting me off this morning. He get out, bless me the Lord, amen. I was like, yeah, I saw you. No, I'm just playing, Brother Good. <laughs> He's a great guy. <laughs> but sometimes we forget that the bulk of those that heard Jesus speak agreed with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and following Christ at that time would have put someone in direct conflict with their fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and wives who did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Following Christ would mean that they were abandoning their families and lives as they knew them. Now, see, Jesus was telling them that their sins were forgiven and that the kingdom of God was at hand and they were still locked in a rigid, legalistic, and unforgiving belief in who they thought that God was and it was a part of who they were. Jesus was offering something all the more different. He was offering true union and connection with Almighty God. But in that second, in our text, it almost seemed like Jesus didn't care what these men were going through or what they were dealing with. He wanted one, one of them wanted the security of a home. Another one simply wanted to bury his father. A third had a divided heart and he was putting his family ahead of Jesus. But Jesus wanted to emphasize the radical requirements involved in following him. He was letting us know that we have to be fully committed to him, not trying to live with one foot in one world and 
another foot in another world as the third man was asking to do. You see, we have to remember that there is nothing more important than our relationship with God. There is nothing more important than your relationship with God. There are good things and there is the right thing. Everything that we worry about, real things, not evil things, but normal good things like family and work and everyday life, all of those things will fall into place as you follow Jesus. By following Christ, that young man that needed to bury his father would have truly honored his father by being a follower of Christ. The young man that needed to go say goodbye to those at his house would have come to know that he may have left them to follow Christ, but he would have learned how it says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that there is no one who has left parents or houses or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. He would have learned that he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise in here today. Come on now. It's all, ready to get, it's all right to give the Lord praise. <laughs> Lord, I will follow you, but. Yes, it's true. The word but signifies a point of interruption, a changing of direction. A stoppage. And when we use it in our answer to the call of Christ, it is a tragic, tragic thing. However, there is a different usage of the word but in the word of God. It may feel like the world is against you sometimes and that the world hates you and it does. But in Genesis 50 and 20, 50 and 20 the word says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to save many people alive. Psalm 49 and 14, their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. See, that's when we start moving into the praise time of the service right there. Psalm 73 and 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Somebody say hallelujah. Isaiah 40 and 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall, but those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood, but the Lord has been my defense and God the rock of my refuge. 
Nations will crush like the rushing of the wind, but God will rebuke them, and they will flee far away. Hallelujah. Mm. Lazarus had been dead for four days. His, his sisters Mary and Martha had given up hope, but Peter, Satan sifts, seeks to sift you as wheat, but all the devils in hell threw a party when they crucified Jesus and put him in that tomb, but on the third day, Jesus got up with all power in his hands. Weeping may endure for a night, but somebody in here was on their deathbed. The doctor had given up and said that there was nothing that could be done, but somebody in here was on their way to a 25-year-to-life prison sentence, but somebody in here almost overdosed and died, but, oh, I'm talking about somebody here. Somebody needs to give them some praise up in here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody in here almost drank their life away, but somebody in here almost died in a car wreck, but somebody in here was told that they would never succeed in life, but somebody in here even considered taking their own life, but I was on my way to hell, but God sent his son down here and saved me and gave me new life, a new beginning, a new future. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody in here give the Lord some praise. I was sinking deep in sin, far from that peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more, but <laughs> oh, somebody here stand up and give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. You know you should have been dead and gone, but 